0: I'm willing to live up to what I have already attained. I belong to Him. I am loved by Him with a never-lasting love. He has forgiven and cleansed me and renewed me, and His Holy Spirit lives within me. And Father, I am sick and tired and fed up living like that. And I want to live to the fullness of all that Christ has in store for me. I am ready. To press on. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have your Bible with you, could you turn with me, please, to Philippians chapter 3 as we read verses 10 through 16. As many of you know we have been steadily working our way through philippians and last sunday morning we tackled the first half of chapter three and today we're tackling the second half and you'll find it on page 1829 1829 of the church bible i want to know christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings and becoming like him In his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of His Holy Word. One of my favorite memories as a child is going to the movies. And I remember quite distinctly, I was around eight or eight and a half, the day that my older brother and older sister took me to the cinema to see The Wizard of Oz. And I had heard amazing things about this spectacular uh, film. My mum told me it was great. You don't want to miss it. And I sat there full of anticipation. And when it came on the screen, and the curtains pulled back and the music began, and it was in black and white, I thought, come on, how can it be any good? It's this old. It's in black and white. And I remember being distinctly disappointed. But it wasn't too long before I was captured. Focus moved to Dorothy and her dog Toto and Auntie Em and Uncle Henry. And then, of course, a tornado was coming, and Dorothy was running away from home, and she met Professor Marvel. Do you remember all of this? And then, of course, the hurricane came, and she bumped her head, and the screen went black. And then, of course, the picture emerged in color. And I thought, whoa, now I see what they're talking about. And it was just utterly spectacular. And of course, you remember all of the characters, the Tin Man and the Lion uh, and the Scarecrow, and all of the music just runs through your mind. We're off to see the wizard. Come on. The wonderful Wizard of Oz there is. Collective amnesia. Oh, someone in the choir had it, and the words are We hear he is a whiz of a whiz, if ever a whiz there was. Now, please don't thank me because that's now in your mind and you're going to be singing it the rest of the day. It has that kind of impact. It is a great movie. In fact, it was on recently, and as soon as the flying monkeys arrived, I watched the rest of it from behind the couch. What a movie! And of course, at the end, as Dorothy begins to wake up, what is she saying as the camera focuses on her? There is no place like home. No place like home. There is no place like home. And if you have ever had to leave home to go to college or move to another city or another state, all that was familiar all the things that brought you joy, the known things that brought happiness, when they're no longer there and you become homesick, that is tough. I have to confess, I feel it around Christmas time. Of all the time of years, about three days before Christmas and three days after, I struggle with homesickness because you miss all the things you love. And as we've been working our way through Philippians, several Sundays, the Apostle Paul has talked about what does it mean to be a vital, growing, dynamic church of God. And one of the things he's emphasized again and again is that the church should be a place that provides for us a strong spiritual home, a place To belong. The other emphasis, if you remember over the weeks, has been this that the church is always going to be a place that is warm and welcoming, a place that is life giving, a place that is life affirming. But first and foremost, we are called to be a people who engage with the living God. And that's why on a Sunday morning, over and above all the other things we do, the primary thing we do on a Sunday morning is to open up God's Word and study it together because we believe that in engaging with this book, we engage with the very Word of God. And as a church, on a Sunday morning, as we wrestle with the principles we find here, we seek to learn from them, then apply them to our lives in the messiness and the demands of everyday living. And so this morning, as we come to the second part of chapter 3, notice how Paul begins. And we're kind of stepping back a little to the end of last Sunday morning, because if we don't deal with verse 10, we won't really be able to make sense of verse 12. So, notice again what he writes in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And if you were with us last Sunday, you'll remember we said this, that there's a particular word that theologians use about what it means to be growing in your faith what it means when God puts His hand upon you and shapes and fashions you and enables you to be more Christ-like in every area of your life, and that word is called sanctification. So forgive me for being technical, but it's a word you need to know and remember. Sanctification is that technical name for the process by which God enables us to be more Christ-like, And it's a process that lasts our entire life. And so, when Paul is writing those words and saying, I want to know Christ, what he's saying is this, I want to know Christ in a deeper, fuller, richer way. I am not fully sanctified and therefore I am not fully satisfied. And he has a hunger and a thirst and an appetite to experience Christ all the more in every area of his life. And remember who's writing. This is the apostle Paul, a man who's had a greater revelation of the things of God than anyone else with the exception of Christ himself. Author, apostle, writer of numerous New Testament epistles, and he is saying, I am not fully sanctified, and therefore, I am not fully satisfied. I want to know him in that fuller, richer, deeper way. And the good news is this. The second part of the chapter, Paul spells out in detail how that works. So, last week, we finished with the theory. This week, we're looking at the practical application of what he means. So, follow with me verse 12. And he says, "'Not that I have already obtained all this, or have been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me.'" Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I now press on. And twice he uses that phrase, I press on. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, I do not consider myself to be there yet, Now, remember, this is the Apostle Paul who's gone as far down the Christian road as possible to go. He's about to go on trial for his life. He may be sentenced to death. He doesn't know, but as he looks back on his life, he says, "'Forgetting that which is behind, I now press on.'" Not fully sanctified, therefore not fully satisfied. Now, notice what he says, forgetting what is behind. Now, what does he mean, forgetting what is behind? Last week, in the earlier part of the chapter, Paul talked about what does it mean to have a religious upbringing. And he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He said, as to the law, a Pharisee. In other words, Paul was saying this, I know what it means to be raised in a religious home. I know what it means to go to the temple or the synagogue week after week. I know what it means to be involved in sacrifice. I know what it means to participate in high days and holidays and the great festivals of my Jewish background. I have covered all of that, but none of it prepared me for a deep, intimate supernatural, essential relationship with the risen Christ. And so my mind is not going to go back there. I'm not going to let it dominate my thinking. I am forgetting that which is behind. I am now pressing on. Not only was he forgetting his pre-Christian life, he was also forgetting his past Christian life, which is a remarkable thing to say, Remember, this is the Apostle Paul, who had been involved in miraculous events for most of his adult life. He had established churches in various parts of the Middle East, including what we call modern-day Turkey, then on into Europe, author, as we said moments ago, of some of the greatest theological treatises ever to be written, Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians, and so many others. And he's saying this, forgetting all of that, the mountaintop experiences, the acclaim within the church, the leadership initiative, he is saying this, I am forgetting all of that because my focus is on living for Christ today and to follow Him in all the days that come. Allow me, please, to be gentle and tender and pastoral in the next moment or so. And I wonder if this morning I am speaking directly to you, and this is God's Word for you this morning, because you may well be here struggling with an event in your past, And when you find yourself on your own, it comes back into your mind, and you start to replay and replay and replay, and if only, and but only, and I wish, and you cannot get past it. And I wonder this morning, if the Spirit of God isn't saying to you, it is time to move on. I know your heart. I feel it. I know you're betrayed. I know you feel lonely and abandoned. But allow me, please, to enable you to close that door, to turn the key, to take that key out, throw it away, because there is nothing to be gained by living back then. And it's time to press on. It's time to play a full part in life in a church where you're loved and welcomed, a place that will always offer you a secure spiritual home, a place that will seek to give to you the Word of God that is life-affirming and life-giving. And it is time to take that first step, forgetting that which is behind I now press on. And then notice what else Paul says, and he says in verse 15, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if in some point you think differently, that too God will make this clear to you. Only let us have, or excuse me, let us live up to what we have already attained what does Paul mean by that? He means this. It is time, not only in a Sunday morning, to learn biblical principles. It's not enough on a Sunday morning to get them up here, or even in here. But it's time to begin to apply them in every area of your life and say, I am want to know Christ in that fuller, deeper way. I'm willing to live up to what I have already attained. I belong to Him. I am loved by Him with a never-lasting love. He has forgiven and cleansed me and renewed me, and His Holy Spirit lives within me. And, Father, I am sick and tired and fed up living like that, and I want to live to the fullness of all that Christ has in store for me. I am ready to press on. Let me apply that message to us on this Stewardship Sunday. Two Sundays in the year around the fall season, late October, early November, we have, as a congregation, what's called Stewardship Sunday and Commitment Sunday. And Stewardship Sunday, which is this morning, we focus on our finances. Let me explain that. Because if you're visiting First Presbyterian this morning, please forgive me. I don't talk about finance every Sunday, but you've turned up on the wrong Sunday. Because this morning, that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to take these principles and apply them to the area of finance in our lives. As Christian people, we believe that Christ should be actively living through us in every aspect of our life. The way we raise our children the quality of our marriage, how we live in our neighborhood, the way we interact with colleagues at work. We believe, as Christian people, that our talk should equal our walk. And we believe, take the Scripture seriously, and we ought to seek to be Christ-like in every area of our lives. That doesn't make us perfect people. If you know any of us, you will know we're certainly not that but we do take seriously the Scripture's commands to be Christ-like in every area. And this morning, when it comes to stewardship, this is the time of year when I appeal to you on behalf of the officers and the leadership of the church to think seriously about your financial support of all the ministries we are involved in as a congregation. Over the last few weeks, Paul has been clearly speaking to us from Philippians— about being clear in our mind as to who we are as a church. And you heard me say at the beginning, we are a place that provides a secure spiritual home, a place of belonging. But we are also more than that, and more than that in this sense. As a congregation, we support over 90 mission agencies, That's not 19. That's not 9. That's over 90 mission agencies, both locally, nationally, and internationally as well. Over the last few months, we have developed and have increased our support to an agency who are working hand-in-glove with the Greenville County Sheriff's Office and the Department of Homeland Security, and we're working with those agencies to help put a stop to human trafficking in South Carolina. And that's an incredible thing to say. It's incredible that we even have to be there. But human trafficking and the sex trade exist in South Carolina. And as a church, we say enough is enough. Selling people into sexual slavery and human trafficking should absolutely not be tolerated. And as a church, we are willing to say we care we want to make a significant difference in the lives of those who have to live under these conditions. And so, we have stepped up our support and encouragement to these ministries. And that gives you simply one example. We'll come back to a few more later. Another two examples that come immediately off the top of my head is that we're working with two congregations in Egypt, in the Cairo area. You heard me talk about them a little last week. who are doing spectacular. work in the midst of abject poverty. There is the gospel breaking out, impacting, and transforming lives. And more than that, in Kirkuk, in Iraq, and Aleppo, Syria, in the last few months, we have stepped up our support of ministries who are helping families who have nothing. Can you imagine what that is like to live in a war zone, and to lose your home, lose members of your family, have nothing, and you have young children. But please remember this. When you see it on the television news, you as a congregation are right there helping. Let me come back to Greenville for a moment. We are supporting the Greenville Free Medical Clinic for people who have nothing, We're supporting the Bel Air Community Mission, the Piedmont Women's Center, many others. Shepherd's Gate, one final example. Shepherd's Gate is a women's shelter. And when ladies find themselves at Shepherd's Gate, it means this, that they have suffered at the hands of domestic violence, and they have nothing and nowhere to go. If you have never been on the receiving end of domestic violence, thank God. Thank Him. That is traumatic and debilitating and crippling. Someone you once loved has turned violence upon you. Talk about abandoned and betrayed. Talk about children having to live with the trauma of it. And right there at Shepherd's Gate as part of Miracle Hill, we are supporting those at the cutting edge in all of the misery and messiness and challenges of the dark side of our life here in Greenville. You are there making a difference. And if over the years, when it comes to Stewardship Sunday and Commitment Sunday, When you receive your pledge card and you have prayerfully signed up and you have invested in ministries that make a difference, please hear me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I could not be more proud of who you are and what you are doing. And an amen belongs right in there. Amen! You do spectacular work. Thank you. Now, in our congregation, we have a membership of around three and a half thousand people, around 1,600 families, individuals who should be given but 1,000 give and around 600, 630 don't give on a regular basis. And if you're here this morning and you're tempted to say, Richard, listen, I agree with what you're saying, I hear all that you're saying, but, you know, I've never really got into that habit of giving regularly. Well, here is my challenge to you this week. When you receive a letter from us as a congregation, take that letter out, sit down at the dining room table or the kitchen table with your family and your children, your wife, your husband, and say, what are we going to do this week to contribute to all that first prayers are doing? That's a big conversation. That's not an easy conversation to have. But as Christian people, we're not called to have easy conversations. We're called to be a people that make a difference, a people whose dreams are greater than their memories. And start this week. Next Sunday morning, immediately before the sermon about the halfway mark in our service, we will stand to sing right after the offering, and tables will be here at the front, And you have the opportunity as a family to step forward and say, I want to contribute. I am excited to invest. I want to make a difference in the lives of those who have very little. I believe in this church. I believe the gospel matters. I believe we should be equipped and engaging the culture and society around us. And I believe it matters when we step up and say, we care. Please take that seriously this week. And if you're tempted to think and say, Richard, again, I hear you, but the $25 I will give on a Sunday morning really won't make that much of a difference to a church this size, please hear me. If every individual and family who do not currently give gave $25, per week, from now on, our income would go up $657,000, over half a million. Think of the difference we could make with those kind of resources. Folks, this is a challenging Sunday, and it ought to be. It's designed that way, because when He calls us, He's intentionally calling us to be the people of God, and to live up to who you already are, and to be the people who have an appetite for the things of God, who are pressing on, and who long to be a people whose dreams are greater than our memories. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this powerful passage of Scripture. And as we draw our sermon and our study to a close this morning, we ask that we would live in the light of all we have learned this morning. Help us please to take those practical and prayerful steps of moving forward in order to support and encourage and strengthen the ministries you have called us to. Father, work in each of our hearts and souls this week that we might respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you're representing who needs prayer.